exploring faith journeys and inspiring ministries that embody the good news of God, this is The Cumberland Road. I'm your host, T.J. Milanowski. Today, Mary Catherine Kirkpatrick joins me on this episode. Mary Catherine is the minister at the Jefferson Cumberland Presbyterian Church. She's been there for a little over a year. She was ordained to the Word and the sacraments almost 10 years ago. You have a ordination anniversary coming up later this year. I do. Her first call was at the Marshall Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Marshall, Texas, and she was there for about 10 years. Mary Catherine, thank you for joining me in this wintry months of February as we were recovering from, I think a lot of people are calling the snow apocalypse. Snow apocalypse is or snowmageddon. I've heard I've heard both of those. <laughs> I'm glad you were able to join me in the early months of 2021. How about that? All right. I like that. <laughs> me too. <laughs> well, speaking of survival and uh, early in the year, I, I like beginning these conversations with asking, can you recall an early encounter with God? Yes, um, I have. My parents always took me to church and I was baptized before I was aware that I was baptized. And um, my, my first memory is uh, I was five or six years old and I had this recurring dream. I was being chased by a couple of people across a field and I was scared to death. And I saw a storm cellar storm cellar doors uh, and and I opened them up and ran down into this storm cellar which ended up being a maze <laughs> and I'm running through the maze trying to find a place to hide and I see this room and there's Jesus in the room so I ran into the room and Jesus said don't be afraid I'm here and my dream ended and this this happened three times when I was little. Well, that got my attention, <laughs> you know, that really got my attention, but I didn't know what it meant. I'm still not sure what it means, but, um, and then I remember, uh, I think we were United Methodist when I was young, youngest. I was about age 10 and I had been through the class and and I remember I was at the communion railing because we took communion at the railing and I had this mysterious warm feeling of like the presence of the Holy Spirit at it it, it got my attention so and and then um, as soon as I was old enough to be in the youth group uh, we had moved we moved a lot when I was growing up a lot uh, we lived in Atlanta, Georgia at the 10 year old communion experience. And then we moved to Memphis and we went to Balmoral Presbyterian Church. It was the very beginning of Balmoral. And then we moved to Indianapolis and we went to Second Presbyterian Church there. And I was in this youth weekend retreat and uh, we're sitting around this room and 
the, the pastor was in the middle. His name was Arnie. Arnie was standing in the middle talking to us. And all of a sudden, Arnie started glowing. And I thought, whoa, that's weird. And I looked around to see if anybody else noticed anything different. And nobody seemed to notice anything. I looked back at Arnie and I heard, this is what you're going to do. And I remember looking up like, is that you? <laughs> or is that me? Am I making this up? Or is God talking to me? That, that, I remember that. And I thought, yeah, right. <laughs> so I have all these, you know, the, these unusual experiences, I think, with the Holy Spirit as a, a youth and a child and didn't know what to do with them. I thought, in, uh, before I started college, I thought, Perhaps I was supposed to be a pastoral counselor because people talked to me, they trusted me, and I thought maybe that's what I'm supposed to do. So I majored in psychology to start with at Purdue University, and uh, I, I hated it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't care who, who's, I, you know, who thought up some... I didn't care. Like, what does this have to do with anything? And after a year, <laughs> I made all A's, <laughs> but I didn't care. And so I changed my major to management. But my heart really wasn't in it. You know, I, I just, I finished and, and uh, I got married before I finished. At, uh, summer between junior and senior year. and. Uh, I graduated and went into the business world. Uh, ended up in investment services. I was with Merrill Lynch for 20 years. And uh, I'll just say about after I'd been with Merrill Lynch 15 years or so, 15, 16 years, I was doing really well. I was president of my Rotary Club. I was things were going well in my professional life. And I just had this um, sense that God wanted me to do something else. I didn't know what else because this was what I knew. And I, and I, I understood it so thoroughly and I couldn't imagine what else God wanted me to do. And uh, I really wrestled with that feeling for a long time. Well, during that, Right before that time, we actually changed churches. We, we lived in Marshall, Texas, and we started going to Cumberland Presbyterian Church in Marshall. And I didn't even know that that was a separate denomination. <laughs> I thought the name of the church was Cumberland Presbyterian we, Church. <laughs> we are a quiet renegade bunch, aren't we? Yes. I ended up going to Triennium in 2004 as an adult participant, because I, that's where I went to college. I went to Purdue and that's where Triennium is held every three years. So I, I drove the church van, <laughs> and, which was an experience and just participated in everything. Went to worship, went to small groups. I knew the campus. So the first couple of days I could help direct people when they were lost. <laughs> It was, it was a really great experience for me, but this is what happened there. During a small group, 
the small group leader asked us to pray, she said, I want you to close your eyes and envision Jesus. Well, I've done this before, but this time Jesus wasn't standing on a hillside like he normally is in my vision. His face was right in front of mine. And he was looking at me with great concern. And I remember thinking, I don't deserve that. Why, does he, why is he looking at me like that? I, I don't deserve that. And then the small group leader said, uh, ask Jesus what's on your heart. And I thought, well, this has got to be good. I've got to come up with a good question. And all I could think to ask and what I asked was, what do you want me to do about my job? And I heard, work for me, work for me, work for me, three times. And it scared me to death. Because you know you make excuses when, when you hear things like that. My first excuse was, I'm too old to go to seminary. <laughs> I was 46. I'm too old to go to seminary. What can I do? And then I was asked to teach the high school Sunday school class. And I thought, well, that's working for you. Okay. Maybe that's what this is all about. But that's not. I, I, and I knew in my heart that it was more than that. <laughs> <laughs> so eventually, um, and this is an important part of the story, um, I changed firms. And I thought maybe that's what God wanted me to do. And, and it worked for about a year. And then I got that same feeling again. This is not what I want you to do. And I talked to my pastor about it. And he said, well, would, would you like to um, come? You're not ordained. So you can't be a pastor. But would you like to come be my assistant for a while and see how you like working in the church environment? And so, yeah, I, yes, I, I would have that would be good. So that's, that's what ended up happening. You know, the, I had to talk to the search committee and I had to talk to the session and all that, but that's, that's what I did. And it was hard work, harder work than I'd ever done before. And yet it didn't feel like work. And so I knew that that was where I was supposed to be. And then I know I, um, I asked my husband, I went home thinking, what am I supposed to do with this? And I thought, well, maybe I need to get a degree in music because I'm a musical person. Maybe I should be a musical director in a church, a music minister or something. And so I'm thinking how, how that would work. And my husband said, Mary Catherine, you could get a degree in music. Or if you want to go to seminary, I would be willing to move. And I said, what makes you think I want to go to seminary? And he said, you've wanted to ever since I've known you. I'd never talked to him about that TJ. Thought it would scare him to death. And so I, I never talked to him about that. Shame on me. I should have. But he knew anyway. And he later told me, I don't know where those words come, came from. When he said them, I don't know where those words came from. And I said, well, I know. <laughs> That's the Holy Spirit. And that's the affirmation that I needed. That was, that was my affirmation. So um, we, we put our house on the market. Big house. We 
gave away much of our stuff and put some stuff in storage and took a horse trailer worth of stuff. <laughs> it was literally a horse trailer that a church member loaned us <laughs> and moved our stuff to Memphis. I went to MTS. We moved our stuff up there and moved into one of the duplexes on Roberta Drive, which was wonderful because it was like so close to the right. seminary. You had no commute. <laughs> no commute at all. The, the duplex was, it didn't have a fence. I had three poodles. And so we had, we made a, a makeshift fence with deer net, you know, and, and metal stakes for the, for the dogs. And it was drafty and, and I kept telling myself it's only three years, <laughs> <laughs> but it was that, that time we both, we both discussed this, that, that time in Memphis in the duplex when I was going to seminary was an oasis in our lives because we were really leaning on God. That was um, probably more than we ever had. It was a very special, special time. Um, anyway, I, I, I was 50 when I started seminary. So th this little girl several years ago had dreams and then we fast forward few years mm -hmm. and she finds herself moving across a couple states with a horse trailer in tow yeah. from ministry that she'd been running from for quite some time. So here you are now in 2021 and looking back on different signals that God has given you through people and through dreams and through opportunities and discontent. Those are my words, not yours, but discontent. It is true. Uh, yes. All along, how has God given you purpose in life? Because you've had these other opportunities, uh, vocationally, career-wise, that you could have just stuck with. And instead, you find yourself giving, giving over to ministry, giving away all your possessions, and relocating to a city you hadn't been in in a long time. Mm -hmm. And you call it an oasis. Yeah. And most, most people are like Memphis. <laughs> um, you know, I really believe I was very sheltered as a child. And I really believe that if I had been a pastor in my 20s, I would not have been a good one. Mm. And I believe that the life experiences that I got being in the financial world, especially were invaluable. I learned so much about greed and fear. Those are the emotions that mostly come up around money, it seems. And I, I really learned how people, you know, real people in the world feel about money. Mm. And I, I look at money as a tool. And I, since I've spent so many years as a layperson, I 
I see, I, I see, I can empathize. Let's just say that I can empathize. And, and yet um, I feel like I'm in a position to help people see that that's not the most important thing in the world. So life experiences galore in, in those years. That, that's interesting because those are very primal, very human emotions. Yes. Um, greed is an action, I guess, more than, but in emo, let's just say it, it's emotion. So those are very primal, very human emotions. And mm -hmm. so you, you see those as ways of being able to connect and minister to people, knowing that there are other alternatives and being absorbed by these emotions. Yes. And I'm prompted to say, to tell this story. <laughs> um, early on in my ministry as an associate pastor in Marshall, people started saying, well, when are you going to go get your own church? You know, and, and I, I'm, or, or I don't want you to leave. I, you know, and I know you're probably going to have to go get your own church. And, and I, I'm like, no, I, I've already been through that corporate ladder. I don't feel the need to do that. I'm happy here. I wanted to stay there. But realistically, after a couple of years, I was ready to go somewhere else. And but I didn't want to. So I stayed there for eight years and uh, it and things were going well. It, it, we were doing new ministries. It was a great opportunity for me to learn all sorts of things about church, how churches work and uh, all that. And I'm in summer camp and I get the word that I'm, in, <laughs> I'm the ministry leader. I'm the worship leader at summer camp. When I get the word that our session had decided to terminate the position of associate pastor for financial reasons. Mm. And so here here I am in the middle of, they, they generously agreed an offer to pay me for two months. So I didn't feel uh, an immediate need, but I, I, I actually never was afraid, which is kind of funny. I, yeah. I wasn't afraid. And I spent those two months uh, praying. I said, this is going to be my sabbatical. I am going to get up, go on my front porch in the morning and pray. And every morning I pray, God, please make it clear. I want to go wherever you want to go. I want to go wherever you want me to go, but please make it clear. And I knew of some churches that needed pastors. And so I started putting out some feelers and little weird things started happening that delayed everything. And, and I had said, I don't want to go to Jefferson because it's too close to Marshall. <laughs> I said the words, don't say things like that. <laughs> and it's like God was lifting up this Jefferson church to me saying, this is what I want you to do. Uh, I visited, I had, uh, I, I, I knew that 
I knew this church very well because I helped them when they needed help. I worked with them. I preached at Jefferson from time to time, but there was a hunger. There was a hunger for the word at Jefferson that I had not sensed before. And that's very compelling to a pastor, you know, mm-hmm. that, and so, um, anyway, they, they, um, they got me. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and it has been the smallest church I've ever been a part of ever in the smallest town that I've ever lived in 2100 and wonderful. And I've prayed, God, please show me what you would like this congregation to do for you. Mm-hmm. And, and I didn't want to have any preconceived notions. <laughs> Here, we'll do this for you. I think that uh, that's how we're tempted to do that a lot. Um, and, and please bless it, you know. <laughs> so you and you've been at Jefferson for almost two years. Is that right? It's about a year and a half since I a started. A year and a half. Mm-hmm. So, so six yeah. months in. As you're getting to know the congregation, they're getting to know you better. You've already acquainted. Uh, then we have the pandemic. Yes. Uh, from COVID nineteen. Yes. So, how has your relationship with the congregation that you serve, mm. and also your relationship with God, how how's it taken shape in the last year, the last year and a half? How would you describe that? No, good question. As we started. We started getting uh, better attendance. We got new members and things were seemed to be going really well in, you know, in terms of how we consider things going really well. And then all of a sudden we're cut off from each other. And I did not have the ability to do a Facebook or face whatever live or I, I don't know how. <laughs> and so we just have, and I'm sure it's not hard, but we were six weeks without meeting. And and I would continued to write my sermons and I posted them on email. The uh, and I would actually give a an order of worship with prayers and things, you know, so that whoever wanted to read through and pretend you're at worship. And then here's the sermon. And uh, we did that for six weeks. And then we decided to meet again, May 3rd of 2020, which was really early. And we were, it was very simple. I'll call it simple worship. We didn't sing. Um, I asked the organist pianist to play whatever the hymn was and everybody open your hymn and read the words don't sing them and we know we didn't pass the plate and we did not greet each other and pass the peace and so it was very simple and two months later we we started singing wearing masks but this is what's been really interesting although our attendance is about half of what it was before COVID. 
people didn't want me to stop sending the the sermon. Hmm. They so I'm still sending my manuscript, which forces me to write the manuscript. <laughs> but I'm I'm prepared. So every week they get a manuscript, and if they want to read it, let's say they're hard of hearing, they can read it Sunday morning and then go to worship, and they know what I've said. So oh yeah, I do change. I do change things. I don't just read everything, but. For the most part, they know what the sermon is about. And mm. so that's a good thing. But um, God has sent people to us despite the pandemic. We have had people just come in from neighboring towns. I've had th- th- three people join the church uh, October since October. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that? And also, you know, I said that I had asked God to please let let us know how you would like us to spread the the word of Jesus in our community. Well, I was approached by somebody from uh, Celebrate Recovery. Uh, it's a twelve. It's a Christian twelve step program similar to Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous that that but it covers all sorts of issues and it's it is Christ-based they were looking for a, a church in in town where they could meet they had been in a, a a church that was kind of out in the boonies so like we're not <laughs> But we are in the county seat, it's in the middle of the county. And so we have been meeting since August at our church and I wanted to support them. So I've been going to the meetings and they really appreciate that. The, but the beautiful thing is that I'm learning, uh, you know, it's, it's been feeding me also. And this could be a way that God connects people in the community to through us to Christ. And uh, that is a very exciting prospect. We also have a, a beautiful, our building was built in 1874 and it's been renovated more than once, but it is currently absolutely gorgeous and i i like that the the buildings prepared anybody can come in and experience our our facility but we also have a very nice backyard and so we're going to have a an out a backyard sanctuary okay so it'll be a place outdoors where we can have children's puppet shows, parties, weddings, whatever, outside, and people can see it happening in the community. And perhaps that'll be another way to draw people to God through us. We'll see. That, that sounds like a, a good idea. And, and some of the 
places where you can expose people where God is working in the world today. I wanted to ask you, uh, in terms of the church, what ideas and hopes do you have moving into this, you know, the front end of this new decade? I really believe that this is a good opportunity for us to hit the reset button. What is it that worship looks like? Uh, my, my hope is that worship can be more exciting. Uh, you know, that this is a, a time when, when we can not worry about what people think about whether our hands are up or not, and you know whether whether we're smiling with joy or whether we're crying, it is it's a time to be with Christ. I, I want people to be able to feel like they can be themselves in worship. I don't. I'm sure that there are many congregations where that is possible. I have a feeling, though, that there are, the majority of congregations don't feel like that, and it's 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 probably I'm not going to say it's anybody's fault. Perhaps it's it's that nobody's thought about that, or you know, are focused on the need to have a place where we can be who God made us to be, and we're all welcome to come as we are and be. God's people, broken, um, joyful, you know, everything that we are as God's people. One thing that I really, really hope, especially as, as you said earlier, uh, we have so much unrest in our political world, in our, in our world, this is probably impossible, <laughs> but I was able to do it. So I think everybody else can too. Uh, we need to stop being so defensive about our own understandings of things, our own beliefs, and listen to other people, listen to other voices. And we, I, I don't think that I can change your opinion about anything. But if I listen to you, I might understand you better and know that your life experiences have molded you like you are. And when we listen to other people and honor them and respect them and don't put them down because they're not like we are, that that is a very uh, healthy way to be like I told my session we're not all alike we're not all going to agree in in here but I I pray that you will be able to speak your own mind say what you really think and that we'll all listen we'll vote we'll go on and we'll continue to love each other whether we agree or not and that's what I hope for for larger groups. <laughs> Mary Catherine, it, it's a weird time that the measuring stick for my neighbor, or our neighbors, mm -hmm. is 
is whether the well, does she or he agree with me or yeah. think like me. I don't I don't remember being raised that way. But that's where kind of the world is at this moment. Um so I like your ideas. I like your dreams. Sounds like you've been enacting them, at least locally where you're serving at. I feel like we probably can't do enough. And yet uh, I don't want to overwhelm people with, uh, we've started, actually started a couple of things that I'm, I'm grateful for. And that one of them is a prayer shawl ministry, which I've done before. So um, I've got somebody who's very excited about leading that. And so we've started knitting and crocheting prayer shawls, the way to do something for other people. And then um, we've got an artist in our congregation who is teaching a class once a month called Art and Scripture. So he takes scripture and he reads it and he shows examples of how artists throughout time have depicted that particular story and then we do something like we draw our hand we might draw a a chalice and a a patent for communion we might uh, we drew a horse (laughs) (laughs) and a dog you know it's (laughs) these these are things that I would never have done but it's really calming and it's a good time just to be with other people doing something uh, and again, we're meeting in person, which many people in our world are not doing right now, but we're spreading apart. And so far, nobody's gotten sick. I wanted to ask you, Mary Catherine, mm-hmm. and think carefully about this question. I, I, mm-hmm. Well, I know that you will. What is it about the Christian faith that just keeps you coming back? So if you were to share with somebody who's like, look, I, I don't get it. I don't understand. You're, you're not only are you a Christian, but you're a minister. How would you describe that to another individual? I, I always tell my people, I want others to look at us and say, I want what you have. Mm-hmm. But what is that? And is it the light of Christ in us that's so compelling? But I go back to seminary and Dr. Mitzi Minor in, in our New Testament class. And I've used this example so many times. In the world when Jesus lived, there was a like a triangle. And at the top of the triangle were the people with all the power. And at the bottom of the triangle were the poor people, the sick people, the children, the women, you know, that, and the oppressed. (laughs) And what Jesus did was turn the triangle upside down. Jesus loved, wants the people at the bottom of the, of the world's triangle to know how much they are loved and appreciated by him, you know, by God, and that the way of the world is not the way of God. And 
to me, that's very exciting. It may not be exciting to other people. I don't know. <laughs> but to me, that that is so hopeful. That gives us hope when people in the world maybe aren't speaking to us nicely or are not giving us opportunities. That's not what's important. What's important is what Jesus thinks of us and what what we are able to do when we know that we are loved and valued as human beings. Um, it's phenomenal. You know, when you, when you know that you're loved, you can be a different person, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're transformed and being transformed. Yeah. Yes. Mary Catherine, thank you for your time. I have, how can we continue to follow you on your faith journey? Hmm. I would, I knew you were going to ask that, and I, I want to have a blog, but I don't have one yet. I, but I will. I do have a Facebook. Okay. <laughs> I'm on Facebook, so it's it's Mary Catherine K A T H R Y N. My maiden name Agner A G N O R Kirkpatrick. When you get Mary Catherine Agner Kirkpatrick, there are none others. But <laughs> 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 and. Um, I have an email address that anybody can reach me on. That's mkkirkpatrick at gmail.com. Well, I like your idea about maybe starting a blog. In a way, you've already done that. You've yeah. been preparing weekly manuscripts, yes. weekly sermons. You put them out there, share them beyond. You know, Jefferson. that was really scary at first. That was really <laughs> scary. And then when I found out that people were forwarding my sermons to other people, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, yes, sharing. I mean, even this, even this, where my true thoughts and ideas are going out to people I don't know. Is yeah. Yeah. Very kind of raw and vulnerable. Uh, but at the same time, there's, there's a rich message and that your journey, your faith journey is unique and yours alone. Mm -hmm. And, and so is mine. And so are, has been the other guests prior to you and, and those to come mm -hmm. and they're worth telling, they're worth sharing yeah. and, uh, for inspiration, for guidance. And, and that's how I, I see this. And, uh, so well, I, I think it's important. Yeah. And I pray that God will continue to use you through other people's stories well, thank and you. yours and, and your, your easy way with people is. <laughs> well, thank you. It's great. Um, and when we get off here, I want you to Facebook my wife and tell her that what an easy person I am to get along I will. with. <laughs> She will have a different tale to tell. He said the I'm same sure. thing to my husband. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, well, th well, thank you for being on this podcast. This has been a long time coming. We've been preparing and scheduling, and things had to change. And I am glad we are finally able to connect. Thank you for your persistence. I appreciate that. <laughs> and thank you for listening to today's podcast. Grab a friend and travel with us on our next journey down Cumberland Road.